Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast of The Horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe or follow to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at O-T-H at SeriouslyDecent.com. And you can check out our website, OhTheHorrorPodcast.com, for back episodes, social media links. Check out our bios. If that's your jam. If that's your jam, if that's your thing, if you, you know. What do these clowns look like? What are their uh, interests? What do they do? I think our interests are horror topics, maybe. Perhaps. Long walks on the beach. I always thought about that when I was putting my bio on there. I'd put just like, you know, into exact opposite of like horror stuff. Right. I'd just be like, okay. I'm into botany. (laughs) uh, Entomology. Botany would work with Botany would. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. uh, I didn't know what to put. So I just made shit up. No, I'm just kidding. It's stuff. It's uh, how you doing? I'm all right. How yeah. are you? I'm good. Yeah. 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 Had good ice cream today. Yes. Rock stars. Yes. Good. Good stuff. Yep. We got flowers for our. Uh, for the cemetery. For the cemeteries mm-hmm. next weekend. Mm-hmm. And beautiful flowers too. Yeah. That was a. Uh, it was a nice find. It was a good find. Chicken barbecue today. Yup. From Brooks. Yep. Shout out to Brooks Barbecue. Mm-hmm. If you're from the area, you know it. You know what you're getting. I say from the area, pretty much like probably 30, probably 40 miles north in New York and up. I think everybody would have some sort of connection to, to Brooks. Well, they do have the truck and they do kind of travel extensively. They have a wide berth. They do. Yeah. Speaking of wide berth. Speaking of wide berth. Yeah. You saw what I did there? <laughs> I saw what you did. Episode there. 75. Yeah. Ghost ships. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm glad you're excited. This is uh this is something I had an interest in for a long time. As you're aware, and some of the audience might be aware. <laughs> but I worked on boats for yes. a long time. Yep. And uh mostly canal type boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, tugboats, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Right. However, I got to meet a lot of interesting people while working on the water, and I can't imagine you would meet any interesting. Yeah, I'm not very talkative. Working on the water, I'm not very and talkative. You are so introverted. Yeah. I just find this all completely unbelievable. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. No, it was it was a really interesting gig, and then I had the the one great opportunity of working on a what was like a PR boat mm-hmm. for the New York State Canal System. It was this tugboat called the Urger. And what was interesting about it was it was built the same year or it was one year younger, younger or older, somewhere around there, with the Titanic. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was built in that. Yeah, I'm going back because I had to do all the PR yeah. shtick for Come it. On. But it was Come ni- on, monkey dance. 1901 okay. was built. Which I believe is one year older than the uh, Titanic. And it started out as a steamboat. And it was really, really interesting because it was old. Mm-hmm. Like they had the, uh, the captain in the front uh, that would steer. And it ran on a bell system. And so they'd ring a bell 
uh, a certain amount of times for the person in the engine room sitting in a chair next to a door only seeing one side of the boat right, uh, with complete vision or the other to operate the actual throttle. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is uh, they switched it out later and they used a, uh, a World War II submarine engine, a uh, big diesel yep. engine, and they would use that. But the tough part was is if you were going forward and you were doing an approach into a lock or, say, just a dock, you would be going forward, chukka, 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 and then they he'd ring the bell, and one bell was to cut the engine because in order to go into reverse, you had to cut the engine. Yep. Uh, it was it didn't have a clutch, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So you had to shut the engine off, put it in neutral, or put it in neutral, then shut the engine off, and then you had to uh, put it in drive and start it up again. Something like that. It was a sequence of events. So there was one point where you're dead in the water mm-hmm. and you're trusting this World War II submarine engine to, to come back, back online yeah. every single time. So you, you never really wanted to start and go in reverse often. Like it was right, just yeah. like to get where you were going, that was it. But you had the lock system and sometimes mm-hmm. you'd go through a lot of locks trying to get to places. Some hairy moments on that. Because there's times it wouldn't start up right away. Right, yeah. Or it wouldn't start up at all, and you're just this massive amount of tons going just, towards shore. Yep. And I was a, a line person. Yes. Deckhand. A lineman? Yeah. <laughs> I was a deckhand. Started out with that, but uh, you learn every part of the boat, and it was this crazy engine. All the valves were open, so you had mm-hmm. to oil them every uh, 40, 45 minutes or so. I don't know if Boise's listening to the podcast because he might. I give a shout out to Boise because he was on that stretch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a great time. We go to all the different canal towns and stuff like that, do canal fests. But we did uh, field trips for kids. Yeah. Kids from elementary schools would come and we'd teach them about the canal and the boat and mm-hmm. how all that stuff works. And it was pretty interesting. But. To get back on topic here. Yeah, that's got nothing to do with ghost ships. That's well, no. a ship. <laughs> it's a boat. <laughs> I wouldn't even really call it a ship. But I'd meet people that oh, I envy still to this day. They were on sailboats. They sold everything. They yeah. had their little sailboat. And they just go wherever the hell they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I was just so envious of the lifestyle. Like, I just... Mm-hmm. And they had these incredible stories of ghost ships. And some of them were witness on account. Right. Some of them were stories handed down. Right. You know, yes. and they'd hear from from other people from the water and all parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And it just really captured my interest. It was just yeah. crazy. It's fascinating. It really is. Because uh, if you saw the movie Ghost Ship, which I'd recommend, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's a good hour and a half to kill. Yeah. Uh, but, There's quite a few uh, movies about ghost said ships. Ghost ships. Yeah. yeah, and and just to make clear, just so we can put a definition before we start throwing sources nice out one. and stuff. Yeah, go for it. Uh, the term ghost ship is fairly broad. It can mm-hmm. be applied to a ship found abandoned afloat on the sea, a ship that breaks the tow line to wander the seas aimlessly, or a ship that mysteriously appears and disappears on yeah. the sea. And while there are many that that will sound familiar, some are lesser known, Mm -hmm. and we're going to discuss both. Yeah. So it's not just a haunted ship or the illusion of a ship. No. 
It's no. it's basically, you know, they were known as phantom ships. Yes. Uh, that's a term that gets switched around. But it is interesting because it has this encompassing hole and there's uh, a ton of stories. And a lot of them are historically validated. You yeah. Know, I mean, they're historically attested. There's written records about it and, and, and stuff. There's one ship on here that was found abandoned afloat on the sea. Another ship put tow lines on it. Mm -hmm. The ship broke the tow lines Mm -hmm. and has appeared and disappeared out of various ports. Yeah. It's like, okay. I mean, overachiever, (laughs) overachiever ghost ship. Well, and this brings into uh, a real, a real grasp of how big the ocean really is. Oh yeah. And how unknown, The ocean is, I mean, it's its a massive, massive area. Yes. And I remember talking to these uh, folks that had sailboats, and they've been sailing for like a decade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd just be these couples. Some of them had a couple kids, and they were raising their kids that way, which, like, I couldn't even imagine being raised just sailing from place yeah, to place port and to port. port to port and meeting. Yeah. And they were amazing kids. I mean, I remember the two specifically that I met, they were... The couple was, I think, 10, 13 years on the water, and they basically, their kids were about five and seven. Mm-hmm. So these kids just, that's the lifestyle. It's right, the only yeah. thing they know. But they knew like four different languages. Yeah. And they just had, a, just mm-hmm. you could tell like just the culture. They're so, worldly. So different, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just a different set of experiences. But yeah, it's a very interesting topic that I've been really waiting for a long time. I wanted to bust this out on season one. So let's dive in. And yeah, so there's a lot of them. Yeah, there is a lot of them. We'll we'll get through them as much as we can. Yes, the Kalush or Kuluche is a ghost ship that appears every night near the island of Chiloé, which is an island off the coast of Chile. The ship appears as a beautiful and bright white sailing ship with three masts of five sails each. The ship is always full of lights and with the sounds of a party and the people on board are laughing. After she is spotted, the ship is then said to disappear or submerge itself under the water. The ghost ship is also known to be able to navigate while underwater. The ship is not just any type of ship. The Kalush or Kalushe is said to be... um a kind of conscious being that sails the waters around the sea. She carries the spirits of all those who have drowned at sea. According to Chilota mythology, the spirits of the drowned are summoned to the ship by three Chilota water spirits. After appearing for a few moments, the ship is then said to disappear or submerge itself under the water. According to legend, the spirits of the drowned are summoned to the ship by Serena Chilota, her sister Pinkoya, and their brother Picoy. Serena Chilota resembles what we know as mermaids, with the upper body and face of a teen with long blonde hair and golden scales. Pinkoya is said to have long blonde hair, be of incomparable beauty, be cheerful, sensual, and rise from the depths of the sea with her totally human-like body. And Picoy has the body of a sea lion with golden fur and the face of a strikingly attractive human man with long blonde hair. There appear to be two types of passengers aboard the luminous vessel. 
The spirits of those who drowned at sea are said to be able to continue their existence in a sort of paradise-like existence mm -hmm. aboard the the Kalushe. Well, it's a party. Yeah, instead of being left lonely and cold in the ocean deeps. They are allowed, according to some stories, to even visit home once a year to give aid to their families. However, there are also kidnapped fishermen who are kidnapped and forced to perform the duties as crew. The folklore also says that the evil Brujo Chilote, the equivalent to the male witch, likes to visit the party on the Coluche. Although they are evil, they are welcomed aboard the ship. They reach the ship by summoning up a magical water horse, which is said to be able to gallop upon the surface of the ocean. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. They've got their own folklore. They got their own folklore. It's a party. Yeah. I like how, though, there's still that interweaving of like servitude on the boat you know it's like yeah. all right the ones that didn't really quite rectify if I'm being their honest, existence you know when i read this this story yeah of this ship the uh being able to go back and serve your family once a year mm -hmm. made me think of uh pirates of the caribbean yeah uh the um, the water spirits, they're re they resemble the stories of the sirens, mm -hmm. the, um, the, I think it's the silky, yeah, which I'd like to do an episode on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the brujo being able to summon a magic water horse, yeah, made me think of Frozen. Frozen 2 specifically. I'll where, take your word for it. Where I didn't Elsa, see Frozen or Frozen 2. We were supposed to watch it this winter, and that didn't happen. Yeah. But. Shucks. You're watching Frozen I will. At some point. I will at some point. When it's when it's not trendy at all. Okay. Is that ever going to happen? Or, I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the movie, mm -hmm. and the series... Borrow a lot from a lot of these from ghost ghost ship stories. Yes, borrow, they do borrow a lot from. Yep. It. So the SS Valencia mm -hmm. is the next one. Uh, the wreck of 1906 is when it was discovered, I guess. And on Monday, January 22nd, 1906, the coastal coastal passenger liner SS Valencia, en route from San Francisco to Seattle with 108 passengers and 65 crew aboard, passed the entrance to the Strait of Juan de Fuca in foul weather and ran aground on the southwest coast of Vancouver Island. The ship was on a reef, trapped between sheer rock cliffs and pounding breakers. Uncharted rocks and fierce storms made it impossible for rescue vessels to approach from seaward. Scores of passengers drowned when their lifeboats were wrecked or capsized in the surf. And over the next 36 hours, terrified people huddled on the hurricane deck or clung to the rigging as huge waves slowly broke the ship apart. Finally, as rescuers watched, horrified and powerless, a huge wave swept the remaining passengers and crew into the sea. There were 37 survivors, but 136 persons perished in one of the most tragic maritime disasters in Pacific Northwest history. Yeah, it was a bad disaster. And it was. The uh, the worst part of it was is the boat was only like 50 meters from shore. 
Yeah. But the it, weather was absolutely it was terrible. Horrible. The crew and passengers started to panic. Yes. And they actually tried to launch uh, the lifeboats against the captain's orders. Mm -hmm. And three flipped as they were being lowered and three capsized in the ocean. Yeah. It was just a mess. Yeah, it was. Now, it's a remote area. Yeah. And they say that the wreckage of the ship uh, has remained untouched for the past hundred years. Mm -hmm. And you can actually find pieces of it along the West Coast Trail in the Pacific Rim National Park Reserve on Vancouver Island. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were two investigations, and both investigations concluded that navigational errors by Captain Johnson, exacerbated by foul weather, caused the Valencia to run ashore on Vancouver Island. Which that's really probably, I know, talking to some people that have been on the ocean mm -hmm. a, a lot, that's over 90% yes. of the errors ever yep. done. It's poor navigation and just no respect for the weather. Yeah. They were saying that as soon as they came into the bad weather, like they didn't realize where they were. They thought they were either further north or yeah. further south. What they should have done is just gone out. Mm -hmm. into the ocean yeah. to wait out the storm and then yeah. try and... But, like, if you don't have a whole lot of experience in that, it's in, it's against your yeah. like, best, yeah. like, interests in mind. Like, you, it doesn't make sense to you. It's like, why do I want to go the ba out yeah. that yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. far? So, in 1910, the Seattle Times and other newspapers reported that mariners claimed to have seen a phantom ship resembling the Valencia on the rocks in the vicinity of the Pachena Point, Rumor also held that Indian fishermen had sighted a lifeboat manned by skeletons. In 1933, Valencia's lifeboat number five was found drifting in Barkley Sound, still in good condition despite 27 years of exposure to the elements. It's crazy. Part of the lifeboat bearing the name Valencia is on display at the Maritime Museum of British Columbia in Victoria, B.C., and the treacherous, stormy southwest coast of Vancouver Island has a history of shipwrecks dating back to 1786. It's known as the Graveyard of the Pacific. Almost 70 ships have wrecked there. Lighthouses were established at Cape Beale in 1874 and at Carmanache Point in 1891, linked by a telegraph line. The Valencia disaster finally shocked the Canadian government into building another lighthouse at Pachena Point in 1907. Hmm. So, let's talk about the Orang Madan. The story of the SS Orang Madan is as fanciful as Blackbeard's headless body supposedly swimming around his ship before sinking beneath the depths. Despite the intrigue, it's a mystery that's gone unsolved to this day. This seemingly impossible event is said to have taken place in the 1940s. The precise year tends to vary from source to source. Yeah, but according I, to the story... I saw 1947 in June. Okay. The SS Orang Madan, a Dutch vessel, was passing through the Strait of Malacca when it ran afoul of a mysterious tragedy. Nearby ships reported receiving a horrifying distress call. All officers, including Captain Dead lying in chart room and on bridge, probably whole crew dead, end quote, it stated. Then there was an unintelligible frenzy of Morse code. The radio operator had the final word, I die. Rescuers who boarded the vessel, it said, found the stricken ship just as described. The crew was indeed dead, their bodies strewn across the decks. Not only that, but they were found teeth bared, 
with their upturned faces to the sun, staring as if in fear. Even the ship's dog was dead, frozen in this ghastly state, mid-growl as an assailant or whatever unknown horror approached. It said that the ship's registry wasn't found because it was actually registered in Sumatra. Mm -hmm. The vessel's name translates to Man from Medan, Medan being a Sumatran island. More than that, Professor Theodore Searsdorfer, a German researcher who has been poring over the fascinating case for around half a century, discovered an old German, um, German publication from 1953 entitled Das Schiffen der Südsee, or The Death Ship in the South Seas. Yeah. This little booklet, courtesy of now-deceased scholar Otto Milke, is discovered by some to offer evidence that the ship was real, as was its tragic fate. It offers an intriguing possibility as to the cause of the explosion that sent the Orang Madan to the depths. Yeah, because uh, there was a boat that was first to reach it, and that was called the American Silver Star. Mm-hmm. And the Silver Star decided to tow the uh, Orang Madan to port. Mm-hmm. But it didn't make it because while on their uh, journey, smoke was seen rising from the yep. towed ship. And the Silver Star was forced to cut, cut the two the, lines. Cut the tow lines, yep. And, or tow lines, and barely made it safely. And then the Orang uh, Meda exploded. Yeah. Uh, the booklet states or suggests that potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin were stored in the ship's hold. Mm-hmm. And this would have been highly sensitive material to haul. And, and post-World War II would have drawn much attention. As for the unfortunate crew, various possibilities arrive. There's a I mean, ton of theories. They're saying a pirate attack certainly wouldn't mm-hmm. be out of the question, but most accounts claim that the bodies were largely unwounded. The circumstances hint toward a release of dangerous gases. Another volatile and controversial yet familiar cargo in the um, international climate. And the possibility of a supernatural or otherworldly incident has been raised but that's impossible to verify. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of theories with it. And uh, carbon monoxide poisoning is a very popular one yeah. because of how they were found. Uh, the pirates thing they talk mm-hmm. about as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they even talk about aliens, uh, <laughs> you know, being involved. Right. Of course. Why not? I mean, we all know. Anything that, like we that. We all know they're in our ocean. Anything right? like that I is mean, uh, alien fodder. Yeah. Know? It's referenced yeah. in the Pascagoula incident. Remember, they had yeah. the sightings of the ship oh, yeah. in the water. So that's cool. Mm. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Aliens. <laughs> the end. <laughs> See you next week, guys. Make good choices. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the Carol A. Deering. Mm-hmm. In August 1920, five months before the five-masted schooner was discovered abandoned off the coast of present-day Cap Hatteras National Seashore, the Carol A. Deering set sail from Norfolk, Virginia in tip-top shape with an experienced captain and a crew of 10 men bound for Rio de Janeiro with a cargo of coal. Mm -hmm. The ship departed on August 22nd, and although Captain William H. Merritt fell ill a few days later and had to be replaced by the hastily recruited Captain W.B. Warmel, the ship delivered its cargo on schedule and set sail to return in December. A light ship keeper named Captain Jacobson aboard the Cape Lookout lightship in North Carolina sighted the vessel 
bound for its home port on January 29, 1921. The Carol A. Deering hailed the lightship, and an unidentified crewman reported that the ship had lost its anchors. Mm -hmm. Captain Jacobson took note of this, but was unable to report it due to his radio being out. He would later describe the crew of the Carol A. Deering milling around suspiciously on the foredeck of the ship. Two days later, on the morning of January 31st, C.P. Brady of the Cape Hatteras Coast Guard Station spied the, sh the schooner aground and helpless on Diamond Shoals. Its sails still set and its lifeboats missing. Rough waters kept surf boats from reaching the wreck until February 4th when C.P. Brady's initial suspicion proved correct. The Carol A. Deering was abandoned. The crew had vanished like ghosts. Gone with them were personal belongings, key navigational equipment, some papers, and the ship's anchors. Despite an exhaustive investigation by the FBI, no trace of the crew or the ship's logs has ever been uncovered. And that's a lot of weird stories of these ghost ships, where they'll just encounter the ship. Yeah. And it could be a ship just out in the middle of the ocean or near shore. They usually find them when they're coming towards shore, because that's yeah. where you got most mm -hmm. eyes with it. You know, I mean, obviously, there's just people by the shores of everywhere almost. But, yeah, they just have nothing. Yeah. Like, there's no people. And a lot of them, they say, is the piracy of pirates. Because yeah. there's still piracy going on today. I mean, I mean yeah. You, you see it on the news occasionally with right, some yeah. things, but it has to be like a highlighted big story. But Like when they took one of our captains hostage. Yeah. Yeah, that movie that Tom Hanks was in or yes. something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it's it, it happens. And yeah, I, you know, they used to call it, what was it, privateering? And uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They called it privateering originally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, piracy and pirates got the name because I think what happened was is, if if I remember correctly, it's it was the actual people themselves earned the name pirate and then... It went from there. Right. It wasn't the actual action of being a pirate. It was just the, the people themselves that hmm. were privateering, quote unquote. Got it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's weird. And to this day, it's just a yeah. complete mystery. They no just idea. Like, yeah, we'll walk past this one. Oh. Just, uh. <laughs> oh. So let's talk about the Bechimo. The SS Bechimo was launched in 1914, originally as Anger Mangelfin, I think. Something like that. Sounds good. After one of Sweden's longest uh, rivers, Angerman, she was designed and built by the Swedish shipbuilders Lindelmans for a German company based in Hamburg. The vessel had a steel hull 230 feet long and was powered by a triple expansion steam engine. Mm -hmm. She was also outfitted, outfitted with schooner rigging. Following the Great War, she was ceded to the British government as part of Germany's war reparations and was acquired by the Hudson's Bay Company in 1921, whereupon she was renamed Bechimo. Based in Ardrisan, Scotland, Bechimo made routine trips across the North Atlantic between her home port in Canada, visiting trading posts and collecting pelts. In 1921, Beshimo was assigned to a different route, this time in the Western Arctic, traveling between Vancouver and the Hudson's Bay Company's post along the Yukon and Northwest Territory's northern coast. Aside from carrying cargo, Beshimo occasionally took passengers, but since she wasn't legally allowed to carry people, 
These ocean travelers were listed as part of the crew and were required to work on the ship in exchange for a room and a trip back home. In late September 1931, on her way back to Vancouver, the Bechimo ran into a surprise blizzard near Point Barrow on Alaska's northern coast where she became trapped in pack ice. It became apparent that the crew would have to overwinter in the Arctic, but since Bechimo couldn't be heated all winter long, the crew decided to leave the ship and set up camp near the town of Barrow, just over half a mile away. Throughout the month of October and most of November, some men would return to the ship every day to clear away ice from the ship's rudder and other critical uh, pieces of equipment. On the 24th of November, a powerful blizzard struck, and when it cleared, the men found the Mechimo gone. Yeah. The captain and crew assumed the vessel had sunk, but they soon received word that an Inuk hunter had spotted the Bechimo roughly 72 kilometers south of their encampment. The crewmen tracked the ship down, but deciding she was unlikely to survive the winter, they removed the most valuable furs from the hold and abandoned the ship for the last time. Captain Cornwell and the remaining crew flew back to Vancouver, and the company rode off the vessel as and the negligible cargo it held as a loss. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, the Bechimo was spotted about 480 kilometers to the east of where she was last spotted. The following year, she was seen again floating near the shores of Alaska. In the des- decades that followed, numerous people sighted the Bechimo all around the Arctic, peacefully adrift in the frigid waters. Do you know how many times it's been spotted? No. Twelve times. <laughs> many times she was boarded by explorers or crews of passing ships, but each time she eluded capture. Yeah. Once, a group of Alaska natives boarded her and were trapped aboard her for 10 days by a freak storm. And in 1969, 38 years after she was abandoned... She was found trapped in an ice pack in Beaufort Sea between Point Barrow and Icy Cape off the northwestern Alaskan coast. And that was the last recorded sighting of Beshimo. Yeah. How crazy is that? (laughs) That's 38 years. She has tasted freedom. (laughs) 38 years. This ship has just been wandering around. And it's not small. No. It's 230 feet long. Mm-hmm. It's 1,300 tons. Mm-hmm. It's a steel It's a steel cargo boat. You know, I mean, it's it's massive. So what are you saying? That she can't just... No. It's she just, can't just do what she pleases? This is what I find amazing. <laughs> like, it, it just, like, this is, again, those stories where, you know, some of these we're going to rattle off. It's like, yeah, no, that could be past as folklore. Right, You know, yeah. and we're good with that. Yeah. But it's this. It's like multiple sightings. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. I mean, mul- it's no kaloosh. People ty- you know, trying to board it. Yep. And Or people did board it. Yeah. And they were had just. Had to spend some time there. Stuck on it for and like, then like 10 like, days. Mm, I think I'm good. Yeah. And I mean, just, yeah, it's been spotted 12 times. <laughs> and the last sighting was 1969. I mean, it's 1969, like a, man. Yeah, man, it's crazy. But 38 years of this thing just floating around. Yeah. It's incredible to me. Yeah. And it just goes to show how fucking huge the ocean is. It's well, massive. The Hudson's Bay Company wrote it off as a loss. I mean, shame on them. Dude, you still Hudson's Bay Company still what has a ship. What if it's still? What if it's still ocean? going around? 
Like somebody just ultimately finds it and ropes it in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're literally almost talking. It's basically 90 years later. Yeah. It's just incredible to me. That'd be awesome, actually. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's got to rust at some point and yeah. just like f- float down, you know, like sink yeah. down. And I mean. Take on water and. Yeah. Mm. And honestly, that's probably the, the real story to it. Right. Now, yeah. if somebody does find it and it's like in pristine condition, yeah, that's Stargate. Okay. Stargate written all over. All right. I'm good with that. You got to check Skinwalker Ranch. That might be that thing on the bottom that's screwing all their yeah. stuff up. This next story is actually one of my favorites. What's that? The Octavius. That's a good story. The story opens in 1761 with the Octavius docked in the Port of London to take on a cargo destined for China. The majestic sailing ship left port with a full crew, the skipper, his wife, and their son. They arrived safely in China and unloaded their cargo. They headed back to sea once she was loaded with goods destined for British shores, but as the weather was unusually warm, the captain decided to sail home via the Northwest Passage, a voyage that at the time had not been accomplished. This was the last that anyone heard of the vessel, her crew, or her cargo. Octavius was declared lost. Mm -hmm. On October 11th, 1775, the whaling ship, Herald, was working the frigid waters off Greenland when it spotted a sailing ship. On nearing the ship, the crew saw that the ship was weather-beaten, the sails were tattered and torn, and hanging limply on the masts. The captain of the Herald ordered a boarding party to search the vessel, which they had determined was the Octavius. The boarding party arrived on deck to find it deserted. They broke open the ship's hatch and scrambled scrambled down the ladder into the semi-darkness below where a terrifying sight met their eyes. They found the entire 28-man crew frozen to death in their quarters. Frozen in the captain's solid. cabin, they found the captain seated at his desk, pen in hand, with the ship's logbook open on the desk in front of him. The inkwell and other everyday items were still in their place on the desk. Turning around, they saw a woman wrapped in a blanket on the bunk, frozen to death, along with the body of a young boy. The boarding party, oddly enough, was terrified. They grabbed the (laughs) ship's log. They fled from the Octavius, but in their mad flight, they lost the middle pages of the logbook that were frozen solid and came loose from the book binding. Mm -hmm. They arrived back at the Herald with just the first and last pages of the log log book, which were enough for the master of the Herald to determine at least a part of the story of the voyage. The captain of the Octavius had tried to navigate the Northwest Passage, but his ship had become imprisoned in the ice of the Arctic and the entire crew had perished. The ship's last recorded position was um, 75 degrees north, 160 degrees west, which placed the Octavius 250 miles north of Barrow, Alaska. As the Octavius had been found off the coast of Greenland, it must have broken loose from the ice at some stage and completed its voyage through the passage to come out on the other side, where it met the Herald. The crew of the Herald were frightened of the Octavius and feared that it was cursed, so they simply let it adrift. To this day, it's never been sighted again. It's crazy. Yeah. Talk about, like, doing your job to the end. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I. Well, it's weird because I did some research on that because I was thinking, man, like how cold 
would that have to be to be like frozen in place like mm -hmm. that? And they say that the coldest it really gets in Arctic winter, usually like the mean temperatures are about 35 below mm -hmm. um, Fahrenheit, 37 right. yeah. below Celsius. And uh, they say the lowest extreme temperatures in the winter are between minus 65 and minus 50 mm -hmm. Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And that's insane. That's like insanely cold. I, I remember being up in like the Adirondacks in the winter when I did like one or two winter hikes and the wind chill up there, it's like 40 below. Mm -hmm. That's freaking cold. Yeah. It's wicked cold. And, uh, well, I mean, think about it sometime in January or February, we have an um, an extended period of time where it'll be like 20 below. And then we might have a night or a day where it is minus 40 and that's fucking cold. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, basically, oh, where, where was it? That's when your tires are square. When you try to drive your, your everything inside of your nose freezes. So like your, your nose hairs, your snot, everything, it's all frozen solid. Yeah. And that's yeah, it's good times. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing of, uh, uh, basically like hypothermia, you do like crazy things and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But I was looking around to see like, how long does it take like a human body to freeze to, like, death. Freeze to death and like what the temperatures it would take. And I got a lot of weird messages with it, but like minus 40 and like colder. Yeah. It's when it starts becoming like a really big reality. Yes. And you figure if you're not dressed for it or anything, what got me was that like he froze in the boat. Yeah. Like he wasn't on top or anything like yeah. that. He was actually sheltered around. They were all in the boat. Yeah. It's, so. Yeah. It's a really weird situation. I could see how some of the other ones would go because, you know, you're laying down. So they probably got hypothermia, went to sleep. Did you hear but, the story? Like with him still with the pencil in there. Of the you know? girl in Minnesota who froze same, and she was found. Same Minnesota like you really want to. Minnesota. There you go. And she was found frozen at the end of the guy's driveway and he took her to the hospital <laughs> and she was fine. <laughs> they thought her out and she was fine. Can you believe it? It's almost like an Irish Minnesotan. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about the Joyita. Yeah. MV Joyita was an American merchant vessel from which 25 passengers and crew mysteriously disappeared in the South Pacific in October 1955. She was found adrift with no one aboard. Mm. Um, the ship was in very poor condition. It had uh, corroded pipes and a radio, which, while functional, had a range of only about 2 miles or 3.2 kilometers uh, because of faulty wiring. However, the extreme buoyancy of the ship made sinking nearly impossible. Investigators were puzzled as to why the crew had not remained on board and waited for help. So they don't know what happened to these people, yeah. where they are, nothing. Again, that's where I would... Nothing, honey. I would link piracy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh... They're all on the Kalush. <laughs> Having a party. They're all partying on the Kalush. Yeah, because they all died at sea. Everybody missing on here is on the Kalush. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're just living their best life. I like it. it. Right? I like it a lot. I 
like it too. Yeah. So the HMS Eurydice, um, the sinking of HMS Eurydice in 1878 with a loss of 364 lives was one of Britain's worst peacetime naval disasters. The ship sailed from Portsmouth to the West Indies and Bermuda in 1877. On its return to Portsmouth, the Eurydice was caught in a heavy snowstorm off the Isle of Wight, capsized, and sank. The wreck was refloated later the following September and returned to Portsmouth Dockyard, but had been so badly damaged underwater that she was broken up. The ship's bell is preserved in St. Paul's Church, Gatan Shanklin. Um, an inquiry found that the vessel had sunk through stress of weather and that the officers and crew were blameless. The legend of the haunting of the Eurydice began on the very day she sank. On the afternoon of the 22nd of so March, they made quick work of that 1878, crisis. in Windsor, the Bishop of Rapin and Sir John McNeil were dining when McNeil suddenly exclaimed, Good heavens, why don't they close the portholes and reef the sails? When asked what he meant, he replied that he had had a vision of a ship coming up the channel under full sail with her gun ports open while a great black squall attacked her. There was no explanation for that sudden glimpse of the disaster that was happening 70 miles away from him. Mm. Sailors and visitors are also said to have witnessed sightings of a, quote, ghost ship off the Isle of Wight. All reported a tall, three-mast ship with gun ports open sailing into the sand down before suddenly disappearing from view. Many of these have blamed um, freak reflections of light on mist. Yet in 1930s, Commander Lipscomb was in command of a submarine, which was forced to take evasive action to avoid striking a full-rigged ship, the type that was no longer in service around the Isle of Wight at that time. And when they looked again, it promptly vanished. Prince Edward reportedly saw the ship while filming an ITV documentary in 1998. So, there's that. Yeah, just popping around whenever it wants. Well, I mean, it it's wrecked. So that those sightings would, I would say, be credible. True ghost ships. Credible. Yeah. 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 Like spooky. Ooh. 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 Whoa. 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 Easy now. <laughs> what do you think this is? A horror show or something? No. no. <laughs> Not so, according to my bio. <laughs> the Jiansang or Yensang um, is an abandoned tanker. The Yangsang was found in 2006 by an Australian Coast Watch airplane in the Gulf of Carpentaria. The Australian customs vessel Storm was dispatched at night. The following morning, a small boat was launched to board the drifting Yansang. No one was found on board. Its point of origin unknown. Documents recovered later indicated that it was the Yansang, but the ship's name had been painted over. The Yansang had a large supply of rice in its cargo hold, used to possibly resupply fishing vessels out at sea. Its engines, however, were inoperable, and Australian officials concluded it had been adrift for some time. As the Yansang had been stripped of anything of value, it was surmised that it had perhaps broke loose from being towed to a ship scrapyard. The Yansang was later towed to deep waters and sunk as an artificial reef because its owner was never located. Yeah. 
So for all you ladies that like a good love story, <laughs> I got one for you. I mean, it's not a good love story, but I mean, it's a love story. Yeah, you know. Lady Lovabond. On February 13th, 1748, a three-mast schooner called the Lady Lovabond left port for a leisurely sail along the Thames River near Kent, England, with the final destination of Oporto, Portugal. The captain, Simon Reed, had just been married and brought his new wife, Aneta, with him for a honeymoon voyage. The crew were below decks celebrating with the new bride and groom, except for the bosun and first mate, John Rivers. Although Rivers had served his captain as best man at the wedding, he was also in love with the beautiful he bride. He was a little sweet on the bride, yeah. The more he thought about her, the more jealous he became until mm. finally, unable to bear his anger any longer, he decided to take action. The ship was passing a, not a notorious stretch of the English Channel called the Goodwin Sands. The Goodwin Sands is a nine-mile stretch between Kingsdown, Kent, and Pegwell Bay and is still one of the most dangerous passages of the English Channel. The conditions change so quickly it can be observed as the tides change and sediment moves around as the water passes through the Straits of Dover. Some believe it, it was once an island, but there has been no geological evidence to support this theory. During low tide, as much as a tenth of the total area can be exposed and one can walk on the sediment. There have even been cricket matches played on the Goodwin Sands. Over 1,000 wrecks have been recorded in this area since 1298, and the area has become a virtual ship's graveyard. As the Lady Lovabond passed through the area, Rivers attacked the Bosan and took over the ship. He intentionally steered the ship onto the Goodwin Sands, destroying the ship and killing everyone aboard. Exactly 50 years to the day after Lady Lovabond was destroyed, the captain of the ship, Edinbridge, recorded in his log that he had almost collided with a schooner with three masts. He reported sounds of a celebration coming from the ship as it broke up. A rescue team was dispatched, but could find no sign of the ship or its passengers. Another 50 years passed, and again on the 13th of February, locals saw a three-masted schooner head toward the sands. Again, no evidence of wreckage was found. In 1848, the same ship was reported to have been breaking up in the very same area, no shipwreck in sight. The last report was filed in 1948 by Captain Bull Presswick. He was convinced he saw an actual ship that was described as the Lady Lovabond, but was surrounded by a green glow as it entered the sands. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Woohoo! It's weird stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about the Resolute. Yeah. At, How at, many you got left? Just three. Two, two or three? Yeah. Okay. The HMS Resolute was a mid-19th century uh, bark-rigged ship of the British Royal Navy, specially outfitted for Arctic exploration. Resolute became trapped in the ice and was abandoned. Actually, the Resolute was sent to try and recover another ship that was trapped in ice and turns out every ship that went to check on this particular initial ship that was stuck in the ice ended up getting stuck in the ice. Re it was recovered by an American whaler. She was returned to Queen Victoria in 1856, and timbers from the ship were later used to construct a desk, which was then presented to the President of the United States, and that's where the Resolute desk comes from. Mm -hmm. So... The Mary Celeste. Yeah. 
The British brig Dea Grazia was about 400 miles east of the Azores on December 5th, 1872, when crew members spotted a ship adrift in the choppy seas. Captain David Morehouse was taken aback to discover that the unguided vessel was the Mary Celeste, which had left New York City eight days before him and should have already arrived in Genoa, Italy. He changed course to offer help. Morehouse sent a boarding party to the ship. Below decks, the ship's charts had been tossed about, and the crewmen's belongings were still in their quarters. The ship's only lifeboat was missing, and one of its two pumps had been disassembled. Three and a half feet of water was sloshing in the ship's bottom, though the cargo of 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol was largely intact. There was a six-month supply of food and water, but not a soul to consume it. What happened to the 10 people who had sailed aboard the Mary Celeste? Through the decades, a lack of hard facts has only spurred speculation as to what might have taken place. Theories have ranged from mutiny to pirates to sea monsters to killer water spouts. Arthur Conan Doyle's 1884 short story based on the case posited a capture by a vengeful ex-slave. A 1935 movie featured Bella Lugosi as a homicidal sailor. Now a new investigation drawing on modern maritime technology and newly discovered documents has pieced together the most likely scenario. And this is by an author, uh, Anne McGregor, and she has wrote and produced the true story of the Mary Celeste, partly with funding from Smithsonian Networks. And she is stating... She began by asking what didn't happen. Speculation concerning sea monsters was easy to dismiss. The ship's condition intact. According to her. With full cargo (laughs) seemed to rule out pirates. One theory bandied about in the 19th century held that crew members drank the alcohol on board and mutiny. After interviewing crewmen's descendants, McGregor deemed that scenario unlikely. Not sure how that helps. They weren't actually on the, the ship. But another theory assumed... That alcohol vapors expanded in the Azores, heat and blew off the main hatch, prompting those aboard to fear an imminent explosion. But McGregor notes that the boarding found boarding party found the main hatch secured and did not report smelling any fumes. True, true, she says nine of the seventeen hundred and one barrels in the hold were empty, but the empty nine had been recorded as being made of red oak, not white oak, like the others. Red oak is known to be a more porous wood and therefore more likely to leak. McGregor learned that on its previous voyage, the Mary Celeste had carried coal and that the ship had recently been extensively refitted. Coal dust and construction debris could have fouled the ship's pumps, which would explain the disassembled pump found on the Mary Celeste. With the pump inoperative, Briggs would would not have known how much seawater was in his ship's hull which was too fully packed for him to measure visually. At this point, says McGregor, Briggs, having come through rough weather, having finally and belatedly sighted land, and having no way of determining whether his ship would sink, might well have issued an order to abandon ship. It's possible. Yeah. You'll never know. No, we're never going to know. crazy part of these stories. And my last story is the Flying Dutchman. Well, why wouldn't it be? In European maritime legend, uh, the Flying Dutchman is a specter ship doomed to sail forever. Its appearance to seamen is believed to signal imminent disaster. In the most common version, the captain, Vanderdecken, gambles his salvation on a rash pledge to round the Cape of Good Hope during a storm 
and so is condemned to that course for eternity. It is this rendering which forms the basis of the opera Der Fliegende Hollander, 1843, by the German composer Richard Wagner. Another legend depicts a Captain Falkenberg sailing forever through the North Sea, playing at dice for his soul with the devil. The dice game motif recurs in the Rime of the Ancient Mariner, 1798, by the English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. The Mariner sights a phantom ship on which death and life in death play dice to win him. Yeah. The Scottish writer Sir Walter Scott adapted the legend in his narrative poem, Rokeby, 1813, or Rockaby. Uh, murder is committed on shipboard and plague breaks out among the crew, closing all ports to said ship. Yeah, that's where you see uh, the Flying Dutchman and the Pirates. Which series. is my favorite version of the story. Yeah. And the whole ten Davy years, Jones. ten years of surfaces yep. to grab souls, and yeah, yeah. And they say uh, what they see when people do see that or witness it. There's a, uh, I had it written down here. <clears throat> it's an illusion they call. Um, they say it's explained by a fata morgana. It's a type of mirage that is mostly associated with the open ocean okay so it's kind of like the mirages you see like mm -hmm. off of hot pavement mm -hmm. yeah you see some things like that and they uh yeah they claim ship man they claim that's what they're seeing but who knows i don't know so i have a few stories that i had a lot obviously that you had right because they're well-known stories but i picked up some other ones no particular order uh the cause two the cause 2 was a catamaran that was found drifting 30 kilometers off the Australian coast in 2007. Mm -hmm. The three-man crew that was supposed to be on board were missing. Mm -hmm. And despite there being a fully functioning laptop, on and uh, it's uh, it was on a uh, open and table set with food, Right. the GPS was still operational, and life jackets were uh, found still on board. Mm -hmm. Authorities undertook an extensive investigation and concluded that one of the men must have fallen overboard and the two remaining men who attempted to rescue him were unable to return to the boat. None of the men were said to be good swimmers and the seas at that time were extremely challenging. <laughs> so this is where, like, this, I, I love this example because this is a lot of stories of missing boats that just, like, yeah. appear up. Yeah. And they're empty and they got no right yeah. story for it. Mm -hmm. Like what? Like food? Well, here's the thing. You're never going to know. No, and that's that's what I find amazing about the sea. Like I would hear these stories. You know, unless the ship itself has like some sort of... A black box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Black box or a camera mm -hmm. that's still operating yeah. and recorded the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You're never going to know. But that's what I found interesting talking to these it's other... The Kraken. <laughs> I, this is what I found interesting talking to these other folks that were out right. and seeing stuff. It's like, it's two weird realities we live in right now. Like on land, there's this massive, uh, like everything's tracked. Right. Everything's yes. accounted for. Everything can be retraced and all that stuff. And then there's the sea where it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's open out there. You know, maybe a satellite was cruising by. We'll check. <laughs> it's <freaking> hard. <laughs> big yeah yeah it's a lot of space it's big man 
And and it's the just, sharks are eating the Wi-Fi cables. But it's weird that we have those two realities. Yeah. You know, I mean, land yeah. is just like everything's tracked, including yeah, exactly. you know, the surveys you take on social media and stuff. And, yeah. And yeah, uh, no. like you go to the bank at an ATM and there's just pictures of you no, in you certain areas. You leave a footprint. You leave yeah. a footprint everywhere. But like the moment you go out on water, it's just like, yeah, you got a radio, you got uh maybe a laptop with it. You like that's why I wanted to bring that story up. That's 2007. They had yeah. a laptop, GPS, yeah. and all that stuff. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. So they there's... had all the technology, but none of the brains. <laughs> well, it's a weird place out there. So uh, then there's the high aim number six. Uh, it's a registered Taiwanese vessel, but flew under an Indonesian flag. She left southern Taiwan on October 31st, 2002, and was found drifting in Australian waters without its crew, on January 8th, 2003. Oopsies. Yeah, so that's three <laughs> three months later, two and a half months. The ship was originally spotted five days before it was able to be boarded due to the fact that the motor was running. The boarding party had to wait until the engine died and the rudder was locked uh, to the board. The cargo appeared to be tons of rotting fish, and there were seven, um, oh, I don't know what it was, something... Seven something found. Uh, there were no signs of distress found on the ship. No clear evidence as to why it was abandoned. After a rigorous investigation, only one crew member could be tracked down who admitted that a mutiny had been committed against the captain and engineer. However, they were unable to prove mutiny, and the reason for the abandonment remains unclear. Right. Mutiny's a big thing. Like, that's a real deal. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit later, but. Uh, the Zabrina. In 1917, the Zabrina was found ashore with its sails intact and its cargo of coal untouched. The sailing barge had earlier set for uh, St. Uh, Brioque, uh, France, but it was found with its five-person crew missing. The most common theory surrounding the mysterious abandonment of the Zabrina was that they were intercepted by a German U-boat. Mm-hmm. Some suspect that they were boarded by the occupants of the U-boat, but it was attached by the uh, or attacked by the Royal Navy before the Zabrina could sink. Uh, but that doesn't explain the mysterious crew absent, the untouched cargo, right. or the fact that no disturbance was reported. There was no like reports right. filed yeah. or anything. It's a big question mark. Now you had the Nina. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria? Yeah, just the Nina. Uh, a yacht carrying six Americans and one British man set sail from the Bay of Islands in New Zealand uh, on May 2013. The crew was last heard from on June 4th. After an ocean storm uh, hit it, that was it. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear anything else. A text message sent from one of the occupants saying that the storm had shredded the sails. They promised to check back in later, but were never heard from again. The Nina, built in 1928, was on its way to Australia. Authorities searched over 100,000 square nautical miles, but were unable to find them, and the search was called to a halt. On September 15th, 2013, that fall, satellite images showed a ship floating approximately 184 nautical miles west of Norfolk Island, but it appears to not have been the ship. They were just like, come on, baby. And uh, the fate of the Nina and its occupants remain unknown. Then there's the Sam, uh, why do I pick the worst names? The Sam Ratulangi PB1600. 
uh, that's the only time I'm going to say that name, uh, was originally built in 2001. It was a container vessel that was completely empty and was last logged in operation in 2009, but was found drifting off of Myanmar's coast run aground on the beach earlier that year. The ship was being towed to a salvage factory in Bangladesh, but the cables towing the ship broke during a storm. The crew of the towing ship decided to abandon the boat due to the increasingly bad weather. The ship was completely empty and is more than 177 meters long. Disappeared. Bye. It's gone. Uh, The Ocean Wave. Dutch artist uh, Bas John Adir built a performance uh, out of his trip, titling it uh, In Search of the Miraculous. His plan was to set sail to a student choir in his art gallery in America and arrive on the other side of the world in Falmouth, England, some eight to ten weeks later. What What could could go wrong? What could go wrong? He was sailing from Cape Cod to Falmouth on a solo voyage across the Atlantic. On July 9th, 1975, so close to my birthday, the 33-year-old said goodbye to his family to set sail on a small boat, the Ocean Wave. And three weeks later, radio silence. The Ocean Wave was found partially submerged off the coast of Ireland. No one knows what happened, but some believe a freak wave could have swept him away. Yeah, Others wave. wonder if he got disoriented and jumped overboard. Some even think he disappeared on purpose. Yeah. What's going on there? New life. Then there's the Pyrian lunatic. Okay. I couldn't pass this one up. October 25th, 2007, 72-year-old Slovenian sailor Jerz Sturk said, <laughs> yeah, you laugh. That's his name. Jerz Sturk. Good on you, buddy. <laughs> Hope it works out for you. Set sail from uh, Taranga on what he planned to be his second trip around the world. So well, I mean, I don't think it's very good for him because he's on a ghost ship episode. So he's so he's done he's done this before. Right. He was hoping to break two world records to be the oldest man to sail the world and the first person to sail the world in the smallest boat without an engine. What, what could, could go, go wrong? wrong? Sturk was in regular contact with Australian ham radio enthusiasts throughout his trip. On Boxing Day, he had mentioned that he had come across bad weather, but all was well. On January 3rd, a radio operator alerted the Australian Marion Safety Authority that Sturk had ceased communication. On January 26th, a merchant vessel called the Aida came across the Pyrian Lunatic, which was abandoned. The emergency boat that was attached was missing, Juristurk is presumed dead. So the boat was fine. Yeah. But the emergency boat was missing. And so was he. Yeah, I'm going pirates. Everything I can't explain, pirates. Okay. The Resolvin. The SV Resolvin is largely touted as the Welsh Mary Celeste. Yes. The SV Resolvin made regular trips between Canada and Welsh ports. Captain by seasoned seaman John James... Okay. He's got two first names. I don't trust him already. Uh-uh. On uh, August 29th, 1884, the ship was seen by another ship, the HMS Mallard. It appeared to be adrift uh, between Bacalo Island and Catalina off the northern tip of Newfoundland. A boarding party was sent out and soon discovered that the ship was empty. They found the SF Resolvin's logbook, but nothing appeared amiss. 
there was no evident reason for the crew to have abandoned the ship. Even more mysterious, the fire was still lit and food sat on the table. Yep. The only clue, one of the lifeboats was missing. I'm going mutiny there. Maybe. Yeah. I'm going shit happened. Yep. And the last survivor took that lifeboat and was just like, Bye. I'm going to let all these fuckers figure this shit out. Mm-hmm. Koreans People's Army Ghost Boats. Yeah, I had that one on there. Um, yeah. And then I took it off. Yeah? Yeah. Well, in recent years, mysterious rowboats carrying remains have been washing up on Japanese uh, shores. Yep. The boats have no identification, tags, or clue as to what they are. These ghost ships have been drifting over for years, but 2017 saw a record number. The Japanese Coast Guard counted 95 boats with 27 remains by December 18th. It is unclear exactly what the boats are, but the most common explanation is that they're North Korean commercial fishers that are not equipped to be out in the ocean, but are encouraged by their government to travel dangerous distances to make their catch. Inside the boats, uh, fishing nets, lures, and life jackets can be found. Yep. Then there's the Seabird. Uh, in 1750, the 300-ton merchant vessel called Seabird was on its way home to Newport, Rhode Island, captained by John Durham. However, the ship never made it back. The morning it was supposed to make port in Newport, the Seabird was seen drifting off the Rhode Island coast before it ran aground on Easton Beach. When the ship was boarded, searches came across a dog and cat both happy and healthy. Yeah. But no one else uh, on the Seabird, uh, the crew was, wasn't to be seen. Everything showed that the crew had just been there, including boiling coffee, the breakfast at the table, and the lingering smell of tobacco smoke. Coins were even found out in the captain's chambers, out in the open, untouched. The day was clear, the ocean was calm, and just two hours early, earlier, another boat uh, captain passed the Seabird and waved to Captain Durham, who waved back. The mystery has never been solved. Absolutely weird. Which is the ghost and the dog, or the cat and the dog are uh, familiars. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I have a couple more. Okay. Or a few more. The Eliza Battle was a paddle steamer that moored along the Topinji River. Sometime in 1854, a reception for President Millard Fillmore was held on the steamer. The day was beautiful, and the trip from Columbus, Mississippi to Mobile, Alabama. Not Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. (laughs) Alabama was going fine. However, on the morning of March 1st, 1858, the Eliza Battle had her last journey. All good things. All good things come to an end. Sometime in the late afternoon and early evening, the temperature fell 40 degrees and a strong wind made the ship challenging to steer. Which steamer, paddle steamers are yeah. like that. They're real shallow yeah. if people don't know. So they just like windle toss them all the shit. On the Eliza battle was a crew of 45, 60 passengers and up to 1,400 bales of cotton, 1858. Yep. Just after midnight, a cry of fire came from the ship. The water was frozen, the air cold, but the ship was going up in flames. Not all of the uh, occupants made it safely off the ship, as in barely yeah. any. Yeah. Bad stuff. Yep. So the Bell uh, the Bell Emica. Bell Emica? Yeah. 
When it was uh, found drifting off the coast of Sardinia in August 2006, there was a half-eaten meal, charts, and piles of clothes on the ship. There was little to be found on it at all. Even the name was a mystery with only a small plaque that read Bell Emica. The Coast Guard boarded the vessel and steered it clear of running aground. By no evidence as to who was on or owned the boat could be found. Eventually, the owner was found. No explanation was given as to why she was abandoned or what had happened to the crew. The ship was not registered to any country. Cool. Love how they're just like, yeah, we'll just put a fork in that. That's done. Yep. <laughs> your boat? Yeah. I don't know what happened. Mm. So then there's the young... Uh, it's my boat. I don't <laughs> pilot it. I Yeah, right. <laughs> the young teaser is one of the most popular Canadian ghost ship stories. It was a privately owned ship which exploded in Nova Scotia during the War of 1812. Privateering, or what we mentioned earlier, legally yeah. uh, pirating, could be a dangerous gig, but some did it because it was a quick way to make some money. But in June 1813, the young teaser, an American privateer ship, became haunted by the or uh, yeah, haunted by the HMS Huge or H O U G E. We'll call it Huge. Then a few days later, the HMS Morpheus chased her, but lost the chase due to light winds. The HMS Huge continued on seeing her trapped in Mahone Bay and began to fire upon the ship. The nearby Orpheus jumped in. And in, des uh, in desperation uh, to avoid being boarded, the captain lit the ship's supply of gunpowder on fire. Like, fuck you bastards. <laughs> you ain't getting shit. The ship exploded. A year later after this uh, accident, a phenomenon known as the teaser light okay. was reported. Witnesses describe seeing a fiery ship floating in Mahone Bay. Okay. So this is like true, yeah. true ghost ships here. So the last one, fire ship of Chalora, uh, Chalora Bay in the city of Bathurst, uh, New Brunswick, it reported tens of thousands of people have witnessed a mysterious burning ship hovering over Chalora Bay between New Brunswick and Quebec. Mm -hmm. The apparition is most commonly reported at night and is sometimes uh, seen hovering for hours. The view does not get any clearer if you use a telescope either. Hmm. So that's the weird part of it. Right. It's like what your blind eye sees, you could look under magnification mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. Scientists believe that the apparition is caused by an electricity phenomenon called, get ready for it, St. Elmo's fire. St. Elmo's fire is caused when inflammable gas is released from the sea or phosphorescent marine life, but locals connect the vision instead to shipwrecks in the area. Because that's just a cool story. That's cooler. It's yeah. way cooler. It's cooler than, than St. Elmo's fire. Yeah. I mean, unless we're talking about the movie. And then. I mean, a ghost ship is kind of still cooler than the movie, St. Elmo's fire. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand that to you. I mean, it's a good movie, but it's not that good. It's a good movie. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. It's good. Is it it's a, not great. Is it an illusion of good? Or <laughs> it's just 
Yeah. I don't want to go down that weird road because everybody's going to be like, can you just fucking wrap it up? Yeah. <laughs> That's ghost ships, folks. There it is. Yeah. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. You had basically 25, uh, 25 ghost ship stories. I would like at, to yeah. do a uh, deeper dive on the Valencia mm-hmm. because there's a lot of... There's a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah, I think we'll we'll probably bundle the Valencia with another topic, and we can do Hazies. You could do the Valencia since you... Since I dig it? Yeah, since you dig it that much. Mm-hmm. It's a good story. Yeah. It's an awesome story. Yeah. And there is a lot there. I mean, we browsed over yeah. a lot of these. Some I... of these are easy to browse over because there's not much, but like the Valencia and a couple of others, they, they there do was, have... Yeah, uh, there was a lot of meat on those bones. Yeah. <laughs> So, what? Um, let's see. We got any calls? Uh, calls to action or anything? If you can uh, donate to Big Fluffy Dogs Rescue, yeah. they are trying to rescue twenty Great Pyrenees dogs, and their kennel is full. They have no fosters, so okay, help them out if you can. Yeah, because well, that's 20, 20 extra dogs yeah. they can help. Yeah, we leave the links in the show notes, yep. so you can connect to them there. Mm-hmm. As always, if you know somebody uh, to turn on to the show, please do. Yep. Thanks for listening. Yep. We, uh, we love you and appreciate you. We sure do. We hope uh, we hope your spring's going well. I hope you had a spring because yeah. we went right from mm. winter to, well, I mean, we had we a had brief a, spring. a little bit of a spring. And I mean, summer starts in June, right? Well, according to our neighbor, um, it's already summer well yeah but i'm saying <laughs> what is it june it's uh whenever the vernal equinox is so it's oh, like june yeah. 20th or 21st 20th or yeah i always think that's late for summer i mean yeah pretty much everybody's got their summer on in june like yeah i mean june. honestly i pretty much memorial day is the start of yeah summer yeah if, that's... We're, if we're being honest commercial uh commercial commercially commercially it starts yeah, yeah. yes yes <laughs> So what do we got next week? Uh, we've got a BOGO. Yes. I am doing the Rougarou. Yes. And you are doing the Revenant. Yes. Yes. So. And we're going to we're gonna lock up May with that. Mm. Lock up May and, and turn the key over to June. Yeah. So if you have, as always, any kind of common suggestions. Yeah. Episode ideas. Yeah. Or if you want us to uh, check out something or check the validity of something, we can try our best. Email us at yes. OTH at SeriouslyDecent.com. Or you can ping us on the Facebook group or Instagram. If you want to just chat about ghosts and stuff, we can yeah. do that too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I know we're getting a ghost trip set with our graphic. the Designer, yes. Yeah, the graphic designer that helped us with our artwork mm-hmm. for the episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mm-hmm. Sean Adams. Yes. Yep. We got it. So if you're listening, sir, yes, I haven't forgot about you. We're we got to work up a. Uh, we got to work it out, man. We got to work up a uh, a time to go and and check out a couple of these uh, local haunted areas yeah. around here. Yeah. I uh, I started a new job, so I have weekends uh, fully available now. So we can do shit. Yeah. So we can do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Unless he's working overtime, but. Right. Yes. We can talk that offline. We don't need to use this as a... Uh, but no, we no, don't. I just thought I'd give a shout out to you, Mr. Adams. Mr. Adams. Mr. Adams. 
So when you were telling your seabird story, all I mm. could, all I heard in my head was seabird instead of free bird. <laughs> it is the worst thing uh, playing in a band, though, because you'll just have somebody go free bird. It's like, nah, man, any other song than that. That's no, thank you. Yeah, we don't we don't have one song half our set. That's no, a, thank you. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so with that being said, yes. rule number one. No Ouija boards. Still? Always. 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 <laughs> rule number two. <laughs> no doubts. <laughs> I know you guys think Severus Snape was referring to Lily mm. when he said always, that yeah. he loved her always. Yeah. But really, it was no Ouija boards. No Ouija always. boards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Three. No capes. Four. No blood rituals. Five. No cults, satanic or otherwise. No flavor aid, no Kool Aid. Mm -mm. No losing weight for Jesus. No. No. No branding of uh, your leader's uh, name and leader's initials anywhere near any of your lady bits. Yeah. What else? Uh, No apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in this world. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. Get involved. Whatever, whatever lights your, uh, yeah, your little flame. What, uh, what if someone comes knocking on my door? Do we have a rule for that? You mean like they have black eyes and they're children? Yeah. Yeah. You don't let them in. Do we have a rule for that? Yeah. You don't give them anything either. Whatever they're asking for, you're not buying. Especially if it gets really hot out. Yeah. What are they doing out there in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bye. If they got an apple and they want you know, ketchup or mustard on their apple. Just, yeah. Close the door. Keep watching TV. Just send them, just give them some caramel and close the door. Oh, you can't lock <laughs> eyes with them. That's the problem. You lock eyes and then yeah. you lose time. Yeah. You lose time. You might be on a ghost ship at a party or something like that. Wow, well, horrible would that well, actually, be? Actually, no, I don't want to say that because then people are going to be like, oh, I can give that a try. I'm good for a party on you a You know boat. what? All of this yeah. is bullshit. Here's the thing, though. Let's do the party boat. You might not be on the fun part of the party boat. You might be the staff. You might be the kidnapped crew. Yeah. Shoveling. You're still on a party boat. Yeah, but you're just working all the time. Listening to people. Oh, my God. I'm so wasted. Yeah, no. And last but not least. Just listen. (laughs) It's becoming more and more each episode my favorite rule. Just fucking listen. Just listen. (laughs) It's not that hard. I promise you it's not. It is hard. I want to put in tandem with that. Just read. No. (laughs) No. God. Not what you think something says. Actually read it. Someone took the time to put the words there. Read them. Huh. I think it's may not... even answer any questions no, that you but, have. Yeah, but that's a that's a disturbing hole too because now you know you can't just read one thing and be like I know everything about it. That's true you know, too. Yeah, you got to read a lot. Unfortunately. Yeah. So with that being said, folks, again, thank you so much. We love you dearly. We do. We love our horror fanatics, and. We hope you have a lovely day, a wonderful week. And please make choices. Take care.